Pastor Brian, come on and show him some love all the way from College Station, Texas. Come on and show him a kingdom welcome. Love you, man. Be seated if you can, please. I'm going to say just a few things. Uh, for Pastor Steele to say that he was able to speak into my life would be like, uh, you know, calling uh, a trip to the moon just another day. He gave an on-time word that could have come from the angel Gabriel and I would have received it just as strong. Can you please give God a hand clap for giving you guys the best pastors possible. Pastor Reginald Steele, Pastor Kelly Steele, beating the devil back seven days a week, 365 days a year, full of the Holy Ghost, preaching with power. Come on, somebody give God a hand of praise for giving us the best pastors that could have ever come to Arizona. Glory to God. Be seated if you can. I want to uh, mention just a couple of things. Uh, Pastor Steele did say my lovely wife is with us. Would y'all give her a hand? Pastor Crystal just does a phenomenal job. And we're going to get right to the Word, but I wanted to mention just a couple of things. Uh, we brought some product that I believe God would bless your life. Uh, there are some series uh, back there that the Lord just put in my spirit that uh, we've ministered throughout the year and then some other. Uh, one of them particularly is called uh, You Win. How many of you know the, the Bible says, now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Aren't you glad you go to a church that will teach you how to be successful? Uh, there's five or six sermons in there. I have another series called Recalibrate. Uh, sometimes we don't necessarily need to change what we're doing. We just need to change our focus and what we're doing will change along the way. Several uh, sermons there. Uh, and then lastly, there's a message. I, I love this message. The Lord gave me this. I actually did a whole series, but I told Him I just want this one message. It's called A Tale of Two Trees. Because your life and how it's working out depends upon which tree you are feeding from. There is one tree that leads to death and there's another tree that leads to life. Somebody give God a hand of praise. <laughs> Lastly, uh, this one may apply to you. It may not. It's called drunk and in the nude. This is a powerful message the Lord gave me about how to uh, deal with people in your life uh, that you know have a call on their life, yet at the same time, yet at the same time, uh, thank you, brother, yet at the same time, uh, uh, we're called as the body of Christ to look over all of our shortcomings, failures, and flaws. It's not your job to judge uh, your brother and sister on where they are in God. No, it's our job to love them. And so many times, we may see the very worst moment in somebody's life and God's sitting there saying, well, can you overlook that? Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet if you would one more time. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
that your people today would not hear my voice, but they would hear your voice. I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that those who've come in hurting would leave healed and supported. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, those who are sick in their body before this service is over, that that sickness would be gone in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus that as your word is ministered tonight in power and truth, Father, that addictions would be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, for every person under the sound of my voice that we would all be changed by your power. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 remains standing just for a moment. says, For God has not given us, that's you and me, anytime it says us, that's you and that person next to you. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Bump your neighbor, tell them, don't be scared, and you can be seated in the presence of God. Come on, tell them, don't be scared. I want to preach into your ears tonight briefly uh, on how to live fearless in this life. Can we all agree there's nothing to fear in the next life? So when the Lord tells us that He did not give us a spirit of fear, there are only two sources that things come from. Uh, If it did not come from God, I do not want it. If it came from God, I do want it. So if God did not give me a spirit of fear, then that means that spirit came from somewhere. And if you'll pay attention briefly tonight, I want to make sure that by the time you leave here, you are so convinced of who you are in Christ Jesus that you refuse to let fear have any type of foothold in your life. I've lived for God long enough to know this one point. If you'll give the devil a foothold in your life, he will take over and make it a stronghold. So for you and me, we're just going to live fearless. Now, fearless does not mean that there's not a reason for you to be afraid. It just means that you choose to believe God in spite of what you're going through. When I was four or five years old, uh, my parents took me and my two brothers. We we piled up in a car and we had family that lived in New Jersey and they said we want to go and see this family. So we drove all the way out to New Jersey and we stayed with some family and while we were out there we were within a stone's throw or so from Washington D.C. So my parents said let's take these boys to Washington D.C. and show them the capital. We got to Washington, D.C., and my mom said, Larry, I want to take these boys to see the Smithsonian Museum where they have the Wright Brothers airplane, where they have a a blue whale hung on the inside, where they have trains and all these wonderful things, all these relics from the past. She said, I want to take them and show them the Smithsonian. So we're there, and we get to one of the world's most popular museums. And my parents are walking us around and we're walking by the race cars. And when you're four or five years old and you're a little boy and all you think about is race cars and things that are loud and fast, all the race cars were wonderful. And then we walked through the dinosaurs and you had Tyrannosaurus Rex sitting there staring at you. And I'm walking through and I'm just impressed by everything. And then we got to the room where they had a big choo-choo train. And I thought I might have gone to heaven. I'm standing there looking at the choo-choo train and and as a little boy does, you just kind of get lost in the moment and I'm looking at it and I'll never forget because the wheels of the train were almost as tall as I was and I thought this thing is humongous. I'd never been close to a train. 
I walk in and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. And I walk around the train and then I turn around and say, Dad, did you see the size of that wheel? And my father didn't answer me. And I turned to where I thought he was and he wasn't there. And I thought, well, that's strange. He must be on the other side of the train. And I, I walked around the other side of the train and he wasn't there. I'm four or five years old. I'm from a very small town. I had seen more cars on that road trip than I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm sitting there feeling like I've been left by my family. I said, well, maybe they're back at the race cars. And I went back to the race cars and they weren't there. And I said, maybe they're where the, the whale was. And I went and he wasn't where the whale I said, maybe he's where the dinosaurs were. And I walked into the dinosaur room. And instead of looking and enjoying what the dinosaurs look like, now I thought each one of them was out to get me. I, got, I was walking through and I just felt certain that that brontosaurus just moved and looked at me. I'm trying to figure out how to handle it. And at four or five years old, now I began to really get scared. And I thought, oh my goodness gracious, what am I going to do without my family? And I began to move and I began to go back. And finally I said, I'm just going to go back to where the train was. Maybe, maybe, maybe they'll be there. And I, I walked to where the train was and I was crying my eyeballs out. And I was convinced that the Tyrannosaurus had pulled his legs off of the things that were holding him down. And he was lurking around the corner ready to get me. And then I saw my father, not walking, not strolling, not skipping, but running in my direction, saying, Brian, Brian, come here. And I ran to him and I picked him up and he picked me up and I said, oh my goodness. He said, we almost lost you. I said, I'm so glad to see you, daddy. Here's what I'm trying to say. Point number one, it's not the presence of something scary that causes you to be afraid. It's the absence of your protector. I had just walked past all the dinosaurs and I enjoyed myself because I was walking hand in hand with my father. I didn't care about the dinosaur. I didn't care about their teeth. I didn't care how scary they were. But as soon as I let go of my father's hands, now everything that was fun to me became scary. You see, in Christianity, it's not usually dinosaurs. In Christianity, it's something that attacks you or your family, and most oftentimes we can't put our hands on it. Most oftentimes it's found in the innermost workings of who we are when it's just you in the midnight hour and nothing but the tears from your eyes and the pillow you rest your head on. But the reality is, is your protector is not absence. Your protector you just have to remind yourself he's there. Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He didn't say you won't fear evil because there's nothing scary. As a matter of fact, he starts it out and says, something that's very scary is around you. It's called death. However, you don't have to be afraid because I am there. In your life and my life, it comes in the form of this. It comes in the form of your health. 
It comes in the form of a, of a, of a doctor's uh, report that comes to you. And God bless doctors. But we just believe the report of the Lord. So many times in our life, it comes in, a, in the standpoint of maybe you have debt on your life. Maybe you made some bad decisions. Maybe there was no bad decision. Just things happen and debt has snuck up on you. And, and literally, it just feels like it's crushing you. And, and you have every reason to be afraid. All I'm trying to tell you is it's not the presence of something scary that causes you to be afraid. It's forgetting that you are walking hand in hand with your protector. Yeah, though I walk. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. That's as much a confession as it is a position. You see, so many times we go through life and we say, we say, man, glory to God, everything's going so good in my life. And then all of a sudden you get sucker punched. Something happens. Somebody says something to you or about you or you hear something. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you never thought in a million years that you would be divorced. It's Wednesday night. Can we just be real? Maybe you never thought your son would do that. Yet here you are. And you have the... You have the environment of fear. You have what should cause you to be afraid. Yet he says to you, don't be afraid. I'm wondering if there's any Christians in Phoenix that go to the Holy Spirit-filled church called Kingdom that will refuse to let the devil push them around not one more minute, not one more second. I know I'm supposed to be scared. I understand. But God said I'm a peculiar person. He said I don't have to be afraid because He's with me. And if He's with me, if God be for us, who can stand against? Number two, you are never without hope. I know it can feel hopeless. I, I know it can feel like everything has come against you. I know it can feel like everything has gone awry. But I beg you to remember the Israelites when they came out of Egypt were faced with an encomp with a with an obstacle that they could not get around in the natural called the Red Sea. Yet God found a way to make a way. You're never without hope. I beg you to remember the woman with the issue of blood who for 12 years. You know, you know, we 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 get a we get something that comes on us for like twelve minutes, and we're wondering if Jesus fell off his throne. We get like twelve seconds. You know, I don't know. You guys have Chick Fil A out here? Y'all have Chick Fil A? Yeah, we want to order it at the first window. We want our Chick Fil A sauce at the second window, and bless God, we want somebody to say, "My pleasure." For 12 seconds, we fight the devil and we grow weary when the Bible tells us that we're not supposed to grow weary in well-doing because in something called due season, I'm here to tell you, somebody ran into a due season tonight in this house. Some of y'all, God's about to set you free. Some of you, God's about to set three generations free in your family. I'm telling you, you're never without hope. 
Never without hope. She said 12 years. She spent all her money. She did everything she could. In other words, she knew having done all to do, her job was now to stand. Some of you, you've done everything you can do. Let me just tell you your job. Stand. Your job is to stand now. She stood, the Bible says, she touched the hem of his garment. You guys know the story. The power of God comes out of Jesus, comes into her. She's completely healed of her situation. What I'm trying to tell you is you're never without hope. The world might be without hope. If you don't know Jesus, I don't have your answer. If you don't know him, I don't have your answer. But if you do, if you do, you're never without hope. Number one, it's not the presence of something scary that causes you to be afraid. It's the perceived absence of your protector. Number two, literally, you are never without hope. You are never, ever without hope. Hebrews 6, the Bible says, Hebrews 6 and 19. I got to tell you all about Hebrews 6. I'm sitting there the other day, and, and I thought I knew what I was going to preach when I came out here, and the Holy Ghost began to deal with me, and I asked my 10-year-old, I said, I said, baby girl, I said, daddy's having a, a, one of those moments. I said, the, the scripture in Hebrews where it references hope as our anchor, where is that? She says, oh, daddy, she's 10. She says, oh, daddy, that's Hebrews 6, 19. I said, really? And then she said to me, aren't you glad I told you that's in the Bible? I said, I'm very glad you told me that's in the Bible. Hebrews 6, 19 says, which hope we have as an anchor. An anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth in, which entereth into that within the veil. In other words, our hope is our anchor. See, an anchor holds a ship steady in the middle of a storm. An anchor holds a ship in one position when all of its surrounding and circumstances tell it it should be going in a different direction. An anchor holds when everything around it is telling it to move. The Bible says our hope as an anchor reaches inside the veil. One translation says, behind the curtain. You see, we don't serve a natural God. We serve a supernatural God. So when nothing seems to be making sense in the natural, when there's no reason for you to have hope in the natural, this is when God's super gets right on top of your natural and that hope reaches beyond, that hope reaches behind the curtain. See, they don't understand you and they don't have to. I heard they're having layoffs. Yeah, but my God, He supplies my needs according to His riches in glory. They don't have to understand you because your hope, your anchor, listen to me, it's reaching behind the curtain. It's reaching behind the veil. Number one, it is not the presence of something scary that causes you to be afraid. The same dinosaurs that I was laughing at, I was petrified as soon as I was away from my protector. 
It is the absence of your protector that causes you to be afraid. Number two, a Christian is never without hope. Bump your neighbor and say, have hope. Number three. Help me, Lord. Just lift your hands. Say, I receive everything that God has for me. Now just receive it right where you are. You could hand an oak tree a microphone in this church and preach. Boy, I tell you what. Y'all got some pastors. I just want y'all to know that. It is not this way everywhere. There is an open heaven over this church. There is supernatural favor over this church. Number three, if you're taking notes. Storms don't last forever. I know how it feels today. But today's not forever. Storms don't last forever. You remember when Jesus told him, hey, we're going to go to the other side, and a storm came up, and Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat because Jesus doesn't even get worried when you have storms in your life. He was sleeping in the bottom of the boat that came down and said, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus is like, What? Before he rebuked the storm, he rebuked them. Carest thou not that we perish? Where is your faith? He said, where's your faith? He, he stands up, he goes, he goes wind, calm down. And, and I just wonder, because all these guys were sailors. They were maritime men. They, they knew the winds and the waves. They knew these things. They fished for a living. They, they, a lot of them did. They knew, they knew how to handle a boat. Yet in that moment, they, they felt like that everything was just going to fall apart when God's Son had told them, we're going to go to the other side. What has God told you about your future that you haven't seen yet and there's a storm in the middle of and it's got you shook? Storms don't last forever. Jesus stands up, goes to the bow of the boat, says, okay, storm be quiet. The winds and the waves calm down. I don't know. I had a man from Wales who taught me how to study years ago in some certain areas, and he told me, when you read the Scripture, I want you to personify everything. I want you, if it says waves, I want you to picture waves. If it says wind, I want you to picture wind. If he references a fig tree, bless God, find out what a fig tree looks like and so you can picture what the Lord is saying in that moment. So he, he says the winds and waves calm down. And I just wonder, did they have to paddle the rest of the way because the wind wouldn't take them there now? Because my Bible says God causes all things to work together for good that love God and are called according to His purpose. The problem that you've got you're dealing with right now is the very thing that God's going to use to propel you to the next level of your destiny. God's saying, here comes the waves. He wants you to get on top of it and ride that thing and quit looking at Him going, care us not that we perish. He's not inter interested in you perishing. 
Glory. I just wonder. You, you, you see, it's, it's different when you live for God. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Can I just say it differently? Because I love King James, so I always kind of reference that. But sometimes we just need to bring it into today's vernacular. It means you don't play by the same set of rules as everybody you know. They may get a report, and that might be the report. They might get news, and that might be the news. But the only thing that passes muster with a child of God is what does my Bible say? Number one, it's not the presence of something scary that causes us to be afraid. It's the perceived absence of our protector. Number two, you're never ever without hope. Number three, storms don't last forever. And let me just put a caveat with that. You're going to get to the other side of the valley. And when you do, you're going to have two options. You are either going to be able to say to the Lord, See, Lord, I knew you were going to do it. Let's keep going. Or you will have to repent for doubting him again. I, I just, I just, I just think, I just believe that it's better to find yourself falling forward, pursuing God, than it ever is to find yourself on the sideline. I say it like this, if you fall on your face, do like David and at least pick up some rocks for your next battle. You, you, never know, you, you never know what God's going to do with your current in your future. You, you never know. You see, David, we know David for so many things, and, and we love him. He killed that giant, took his sword, and then later he used the sword of the giant he killed. In other words, your current battles are the breeding ground for your future weapons. It shifts everything when you begin to believe God. It shifts everything when you decide, you know what, I know tonight's Wednesday, but I just refuse tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. I'm just not going to be afraid of anything. My children, they are 5, 7, and 10. And from the time they were little, we've never allowed them to say that they are afraid of anything. Now, they've never really been bent that way anyway, but where I'm from, we live way out in the country, so there's like snakes and stuff and just crazy. I mean crazy. I wish I had some pictures of these crazy snakes. But anyway, my kids will come to church and they will bring pictures. Daddy, let me see your phone. I'll give my phone. They show somebody a picture of the snake. And they say, oh, were you scared? And they're not trying to be obnoxious. But they don't even understand the question. No, sir. No, ma'am. I'm not scared of anything. You, you see, when you know whose hand you are holding, you have nothing to be afraid of. Job said it was my greatest fear that came upon me. Well, what if, we don't, what if we're not scared of anything? What you going to do now, devil? 
You get to a place where you're too expensive to steal from because God says that he's got to pay back sevenfold. I've been stolen from. I started to get happy. I said, glory to God. I'm about to get paid. I tell you right now, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but before this thing is over, it's coming back to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's going to be put into my bosom, and I'm not backing off of it. I'm not stopping on it. I'm not getting to, If his Bible says it, then I'm just going to believe it. We're just going to live fearless. We're not going to be afraid of anything. Listen, you might get a report tomorrow, but if you... Here, 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 my, my father, when I was a teenager, he let me go nearly anywhere I wanted to go. It was kind of a unique way. I was talking to Pastor Steele, and it sounded very similar to my upbringing, the way he's raised his children. My father would let me go almost anywhere I want to go, but he would always say this to me. He said, what are you going to do when you get there? Well, I'd rather not say, Dad. <laughs> if you're watching online, Dad, I just, just, you know what, just turn it off, Dad. That'd be good. Next five minutes. Hey, what are you going to do when you get there? I said, well, uh, you know, I think probably, you know, I'll get a, you know, and then, and then we'll leave, and it'll just be great, Dad. <laughs> he didn't mind me going anywhere as long as I knew what I was going to do before I got there. You see, if you know how you're going to respond, regardless of what news you get, if you know how you're going to respond, regardless of what information comes, if you know how you're going to react, regardless of what the circumstance or the situation brings to you, now you have the ability to live fearless because you are not made to abstain from the fight. You are made to be in the fight. Last point I want to make, then, then, then we're going to close. God is overwhelming, and God is good. He's kind, He's just, He's righteous. He's gentle to His children. But at the end of it all, He's still God. Which means, if I did not serve Him, that would not knock Him off His throne. If, if you did not... That would not move him around. He is God. Our Bible says that he numbers the stars and calls them by name. We've been in Phoenix for a few days. You have sunsets here that will blow your mind. At night, the clear sky, you see all the stars and you think, so he knows them by name and he has counted them? What kind of a God is this? Well, He is God. It's difficult to try to describe Him. It's difficult to try to put into words who He is. But when you want to live a life that is without fear, you have to understand what He is capable of. Because if you understand what He is capable of, and you begin to weigh and measure your circumstance or your situation to the grandiose nature of who He is, you will always find what is coming against you to be wanting indeed. 
You will always find what has risen against you has no permanence and what has risen against you has no way that it's going to be able to resist him. You will always find that whatever has risen against you has no means of way of stopping who he is because he is God. He's God on Sunday morning. He's God on Sunday evening. He's God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He's God at midweek service. He's God on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He's God when you wake up, when you eat, and when you go to sleep. He is still God whether you want to serve Him or not. He's God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He does not get slow slack, nor is He removed from His promises. He is ever looking over His Word to perform it because He is God. You don't have to fear anything if you've ever said yes to Jesus because when you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, the Bible says you can boldly go before the throne and make your request known to Him. You are literally going before the throne room of Almighty God Himself and you have nothing to be afraid. He is God. He is God that takes dry bones, brings them together and causes an army to rise up. He's God that walks in and dead men can't stay dead. He's God that changes situations and health has to come in your body because He is God. He's God that moves mountains out of your way. He tells the mountains how tall to grow and He tells the rivers which way they can wind. He is God in the morning. He is God at night. He is God. He does not move. He does not change. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He is God. He is not slack. Nor has He forgotten you. The Bible says He looks and He numbers the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. Some of you, it doesn't take Him near as long to count. I'm just saying. He is God. And just because you have an adversary, it doesn't change who He is. This God... In which our Bible starts with this one simple thought. In the beginning, God. This God whom we serve is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. So when you think and ask, Think and ask real big. Because if you're thinking and asking right here, all he's got to do is hear. But if you're pegging it out, but see, if we're going to live without fear, you got to be on the right team. Because everything I said tonight only applies those who have called on the name of the Lord. Everything we said tonight only applies because there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father constantly making intercession for those who have called on His name. I don't have a promise for you if you don't know Him. But the moment you look for him, you'll find him like my father, running and looking for you. Would everyone please bow your head and close your eyes?